When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Brilliant, yet pointless. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. This is the pecking order. Today's topic, the most maddening Minnesota Vikings of all time. Here are Mackie and Judd. <laughs> All right. This is going to maybe have a little bit of a different perspective from both of us, just based on when we started watching the Vikings. But we had so much fun yeah. venting about the Twins yesterday and our most maddening Twins players. Why stop order. at just the Twins? I mean, we could Honestly, we could do this for Wolves. Why? We could just make a week out of it mm-hmm. if you want to. Uh, so you started yesterday. I'll start us off. Yes, sir. Go ahead. With my 10. Now, I don't know if we can expect this to be the case. In fact, I almost guarantee that it won't be. But we had 10 different players on each of our lists for the Twins. We had 20 different fresh names for the Twins. It's not going to. That will not be the case today. Okay. Highly doubt it. Number 10, three yards, cloud of dust. The new version of it, anyways, because Leroy Horde was this as well. But now Fahu Tahi. Not only did he drive you crazy, it wasn't even really his fault, right? It's not your fault, kid. It's the scout that signed you, sort of the mantra. Yep. Brad Childress and Dara Bevel love themselves a little now. Fahu Tahi, wheel route. The 12th man, around, too. 12th man on the field, helping to sabotage a guaranteed trip to the Super Bowl. Now, Fahu Tahi is number 10 on my list. Number nine is a guy who actually was a really productive receiving tight end for the Vikings. But he had one move that after one year, defenders figured it out and they stifled it. Jermaine Wiggins is number nine oh, on my wow, list. Oh, wow, Wiggy. Jermaine Wiggins had that hurdle Radio move. guy now in Boston. Is he? Yeah. What station? There's like three of them. I don't know, but I think he's on a, a morning show in Boston. All right. I've seen his uh, Twitter account, but yeah. Well, and he, and he was always entertaining. And and for the, for the first season when defenses were trying to figure out, oh, what this guy can catch some passes. He's... And he would always try to jump the defender, right? He yes. was like this hurdle move. And then yes. eventually, after the first year, linebackers and safeties figured out, oh, he's going to try and jump. So we'll just we'll just jump too, and we'll tackle him. <laughs> or we'll just, like, rise up a little bit, and he'll trip over us and land on his head. And yeah, because so he was Wiggins, not light of foot. No, he was not. He was not a slight man. So Jermaine Wiggins is number nine on my list. Probably could have put this guy higher, but I'm going to put him at number eight, Blair Walsh. After his... Amazing rookie season in which he knocked home all of his field goals from beyond 50 yards. For him to blow a Vikings playoff game, to get right. the yips with extra points, yep. 
Um, I think if he had, hadn't set the bar so high in his rookie year, we wouldn't feel this way about him. But Blair Walsh was just damage to the organization. But the good thing is that the Vikings learned from that, and they would never repeat that mistake ever again. They would never draft no, a kicker. Never. They would never draft an SEC kicker never. who had a good career until his senior year and then send their special teams coach to fix him and then draft him in the fifth or sixth round. Never. This will never repeat itself. No, there'd never be a situation where you could really use just a run of offensive linemen. Just draft like four of them, right? Fifth round. You'd never want to draft a kicker instead. No, Especially no. after what happened with Blair Walsh. So they learned a lesson. No. Yeah. Number seven. Holding number 73 offense. False start number 73 oh, offense. Oh, no. Todd Stussy. Oh, the way back machine. Todd Stussy makes my list at number seven. And I'm probably misremembering, credit Andy Pettit, uh, misremembering, or was it Roger Clemens? Who misremembered? It was Roger Clemens. Yes. Like, Stussy was was part of a really good offensive line that went 15 and 1 in 1998. Except I just, except uh Stucy was the guy, I believe he was playing left tackle hadn't been beaten all of the 1998 season until Chuck Smith at the end of the first half of the NFC Championship game okay. beat him and stripped Cunningham. So there it was. So yeah, that was uh, that was not good. I mostly just remember him committing penalties and getting frustrated as a kid watching the Vikings. He did and commit so, quite a few. So Todd Stucy holding number 73 offense number 7 on the list. Uh number 6 is a linebacker, former first round pick whose most memorable moment came after the Vikings ditched him after the first three or four years, came in Cleveland, actually. Dwayne Rudd is number six on my maddening Vikings players list. First of all, like, the guy was a first-round pick. He should have been yours for a decade, and he just wasn't that good, and so they they let him walk. Cle- he had that moment. I think it was a game against the Chiefs. It was Cleveland versus the Chiefs where it was. Like, the game was basically over, and Dwayne Rudd took his helmet off and spiked it in the middle of the field in celebration, which... Which prompted a 15-yard penalty, and then the Chiefs kicked a game-winning field goal because of Dwayne Rudd's stupidity. He was basically just a walking personal foul, right? Yes. Uh That's what I remember from Dwayne Dwayne Rudd. Yes, just could not contain himself. Every turn, it was a flag and a 15-yard penalty. All right, now we get to the top five here. Maddening Vikings players. Christian Ponder. That's easily correctable. So easily correctable. We're just going to go look at the tape. We're going to review some things, go to a CVS, wash my hair in the parking lot with a oh. gallon of water, get married during the season. You Stop know. at Arby's. Yeah. Maybe not. You know, maybe Bed Bath & Beyond. Not sure if uh, Sam is going yeah, to have that do? carved, us, carved out on Sam, our schedule. What is Sam doing? Uh, Christian Ponder, thinking? who never saw a second read that he uh, thought was good enough to go forward with without running the ball first. So Christian Ponder, the 12th overall pick is number five on my maddening Vikings list. All right. Number four, they called him the missile because he could outrun defenders down the sidelines. The problem is catching the ball. Cadre Ismail is number four on my list. No U, right? Just the Q? Q-A-D-R-Y? That's yeah. I think that's right. You're right. Q-A-D-R-Y. He didn't have the U. Yep. Where was the U? The hey. missile and the rocket. The Ismail brothers. Oh, yep. I was I was excited when they drafted him because I thought, oh, this is great. They got Rockets. Oh, boy. Yeah. And he was fast, and he definitely caught some passes down the field, but... I feel like uh, he was a missile with hands made of cinder blocks. It was very difficult for him to uh, actually catch the ball. Cadre Ismail, and and that was before Randy Moss. It was it yeah. was Chris Carter kind of emerging, and he thought, all right, you got Chris Carter, the possession guy, and Cadre is going to be here for eight years going down the field. Didn't quite work that way. Number three, the only receiver that made Cadre Ismail look like Jerry Rice, Troy Williamson. 
has to be on this list of maddening Vikings players. Number seven overall pick. Went, he couldn't catch the ball? Went to a Nike Vision Clinic. And if if you're you know new to Vikings fandom, you're a younger listener of the show, do yourself a favor and go Google Troy Williamson. You can probably just Google Troy Williamson, but go to YouTube and watch him against Denver in like 2006 or seven, where not only did he have the ball wide open down the field, bounce off his face mask, but later in that game on a third down play, like third and eight, he flashes over the middle wide open yeah. and the ball bounces right two, off the eight and the two. Two of the greatest passes that Tavares threw, and there weren't, and there's not a whole long list no. of great Tavares passes, were both dropped in Denver that day right. by Troy. All right, number two, Adrian Peterson on my maddening Vikings players list. I mean, the fact that, again, the Vikings had a chance to go to the Super Bowl and he fumbles the ball, well, two times officially. Three times if you count the botched exchange at the line of but scrimmage. The but the Seattle playoff game, he was fan. Oh, never mind. No, that's not true either. So Adrian Peterson, for as great as he was at taking a ball and running forward with it, was maddening in all these other ways. And the number one most maddening Vikings player in the history of the franchise. Are you stumped at all? Do you know who this might be? No. No, I am stumped. It's a guy... It's a guy who we remember fondly, but a guy that is ultimately responsible for one of, if not the most devastating moments in Vikings history, Brett Favre. Brett Favre is the most maddening Vikings player putting him on in the my history list, of the franchise. And I, and I did not put him on. For him to tease you the way that he did, and for you to feel that good for four months yeah. the way that you did, and then for him to inexplicably end the season the way yeah. that he did... That's the definition of maddening, right? Like you thought something was going to go this way, except and a guy goes rogue I and does it this words way. For, for you, when it comes to Brett Favre, caveat emptor, buyer beware, because we knew it was coming. Sure. We should have known it was coming. We should have seen it coming. Brett Favre, the ultimate tease, left the Vi- left the Packers and Vikings in the exact same way. With heartbreaking, gut-wrenching interceptions that took a magical season yep. and flushed it down the toilet. So that's that's my pecking order. Maddening Vikings players all time. Brett Favre, number one. Right. Adrian Peterson, number two. Troy Williamson. Cadre Ismail. Christian Ponder. Dwayne Rudd. Todd Stusey. Blair Walsh. Jermaine Wiggins. Hurdle move. <laughs> Now Fahu Tahi, and I'm I admit I'm not accounting for a whole generation of Vikings football. Judd has his list when we come back. I'm not we, sure if you dove into have, that generation. We have uh, four in common, so it's not a tie. All right. We have four in common. All right, Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd now continue. Just press play. On 1500 ESPN. This is the pecking order. Today's topic the most maddening Minnesota Vikings of all time. Here are Mackie and Judd. All right. You said we we only match on a small handful here. So yeah, we matched gonna... on four four of the ten so far. All right. My list was number ten, Nofahutahi. Ooh. Delete. 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 This is a new one. New to the show, you mean? Yeah. No, I've played it a couple other times. Okay, this is, I like, this is a good one. This is good stuff. Oh, it's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nafahu Tahi. Delete. Jermaine Wiggins, number nine. Blair Walsh, eight. Todd Stucey, seven. Holding number 73 offense. Uh, number six, Dwayne Rudd. Five, Christian Ponder. Four, Kadri Ismail. 
the missile, who had no arms apparently, just was like missling down the sidelines with his arms tied behind his back. Troy Williamson, Adrian Peterson, and Brett Favre was the most maddening Viking of all time for my money. Fire away. I'm going to go on the Wayback Machine for number 10. Because most of my list is going to be from guys that, that I covered and who just drove me crazy trying to watch them on a daily basis. But number 10 for me, 14th overall pick of the 1987 draft out of Penn State. A man who was supposed to solve the Vikings' problems of finally finding that dominant running back that they had lacked since Chuck Foreman, DJ Dozier. Four years of DJ wow. in purple, and he never rushed for more than 257 yards in a given season wow. before the Vikings gave up on the 14th overall pick. Yikes. DJ Dozier, a complete bust, is number 10. Number nine on my list, number nine... The 18th pick of the 2005 draft. The man that was supposed to solve all the problems at right defensive end by providing consistent pressure on opposing quarterbacks. A man who had made the Gophers' life very difficult in the Big Ten as a Wisconsin Badger. So why couldn't he do it in purple? Erasmus James. The lasting impression of Erasmus James is uh, is his teammates during his rookie year putting his jeans, his wet jeans in the snow, his expensive jeans freezing, and Erasmus James being so mad he almost started crying. That's my lasting impression of Erasmus James. That would make me upset. I don't know. Just go it's, buy some new jeans, man. Sort of, millionaire. It's sort of a rite of passage, too. Sure. You're supposed to laugh. You're supposed to have fun with the guys. Erasmus James was almost in tears. That's kind of funny. It's kind of a funny old Uh Number eight is the first one that we agreed on. It has to be Blair Walsh. I mean, this is, this is the kids' fault and the team's fault. Uh, Walsh had Walsh came here, had the great first year, and I think it was, Phil, if I'm correct on this, I think it was his third year he struggled a lot, and you, and you began to say, this might not work. And the Vikings were like, no, we're going to bring him back next year, and it's going to be fantastic. And all of that led up to the Seattle Seahawks 27-yard shank on the field goal attempt. Blair Walsh, number eight. Yeah. Number seven, we agreed again. It has to be the number seven pick in the 2005 draft, Troy Williamson. Who, who, by the end, we don't know if it was the wide receivers coach, if it was Ticey, if it was an executive, but somebody saw this kid speed at the combine and said, we've got to have him. He's going to replace Randy Moss. Well, he could run really fast. Yeah, he, he, no, he's he's literally a locomotive. He's a freight train. Does he have arms? No, but we'll it figure it out. Matter. We'll figure it out. It doesn't matter. Next on my list would be number what, six, Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson is a Hall of Fame runner. But when you can't hold on to the football, and by the way, this was not a one-year thing. This was a consistent thing. He got cleaned up some years, sort of, but it never completely got cleaned up. When you can't hang on to the ball, when you can't pass protect. So so you are a Hall of Fame player who can't play on third down, which is sort of an important down to play on. And when you can't really catch the ball, that's a problem. Adrian Peterson, a talent that... Uh, that never materialized completely because of the deficiencies and flaws in his game. What's it, is he still sitting out there? What's his status right now? He's still out there. So he's just a free I agent. I believe with no he team. was a captain. I believe he was an honorary coach at the Oklahoma Spring Game. Well, that's that's a good role for him. So going there, forward. you can go there. Just be the honorary captain in Oklahoma. On, yeah, exactly. So he's still there. It almost feels like Arizona. He's, he's going to try and, get, and c- catch on because he can't give up. But, but wasn't he saying that you know? Well, just because Arizona, it, you know, didn't didn't. Renew my contract. We always still work something on Arizona's. Yeah. Like we have David Johnson. Dude. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're no. We're good. Yeah. He's he he's coming back. Adrian's like. Well, who else do they have? I don't know. The guy who is yeah. the best running back in the NFL who is rehabbing from an injury. And he can catch football. I mean, that yeah. might be important in 2018. 
Uh, my top five. Number five, a guy who makes my list because he fooled you on the field, but more so off the field. Oh. Corin oh. Robinson. Oh. Okay. So, There's a couple couple different places you could have gone with that. Corin. Uh, no. Oh, you know what? No, no, I didn't. I, Darren does not make my list. <laughs> oh, I know where you're going. Sharp did not make my, my list, although he could have. Uh, Corin Robinson. Signed in 2005. Can I buy you a drink? After. No, that's okay. Uh, Sharp, I'm doing really well right now. Thanks a lot. Are you sure? No. I got a, three, I got a bunch come, of drinks. It's happy. Just come back to my room. It's happy. Just come back to my room, man. I'm, I'm making drinks. No, Darren. My that's, brother and I, we're that's upstairs. Okay. No, Darren. Corin Robinson, though, was signed in 2005 after he ran into some um, difficulties with, I believe he had a couple drunk drivings with the Seahawks, and he got let go, and the Vikings brought him here, and he was a model citizen. He was, he had cleaned himself up to the point where where we in the media elected him the good guy. And I I recall that he got the award and he came into the press room and sat down and talked about how his life had changed and how everything was great. And he and on kick returns he was fantastic in 2005. And then came a three-year contract extension when Childress got here in 2006. And then came training camp 2006. And the last time I saw Corin was in uh, in a St. Peter, Minnesota courtroom. In orange, in an orange jumpsuit and shackles, after he had been apprehended right in front of the uh, Gage dorm in Mankato for going 100 and what was it, 15 miles per hour? Do we know what happened to him? Like, do we have any idea what Corn Robinson's up to now? I have no clue. We can try and find out. That'd but be I really interesting. I have no idea. And I want to say he might have, once he served his time or got out uh, of here, he might have caught on with somebody for a little. While, but yeah, Corn Robinson fooled us all. Number four, yeah. number four on my list. First two quarterbacks, Tavares Jackson. Okay, Brad Childress traded up to get him uh, to the last pick. He made a trade with Pittsburgh at the end of the 2006 draft uh, to get the last pick of the second round. He took Tavares. They kept giving Tavares chances, and you know why they did it? Because Tavares had a cannon for an arm. I always See, love that one. This is. Uh... Now that you're into the quarterback phase of your maddening Vikings pecking order, the reason so I put Brett Favre number one. Let me read this tweet here. Jordan says, "Of all the terrible quarterbacks in Vikings history, you pick Brett Favre. I think you could have found a better option. Come on, man. This isn't the worst Vikings players ever list. It's the most maddening Vikings players ever list. And I think the fact that one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time had maybe his best season of all time, and then through that interception at that moment of that game, that's maddening." It's one of the most maddening moments in the franchise's history. Yet, not surprising, right? Because it's not surprising, like, but it that, is maddening. In that moment, it was a little surprising. I'll admit, he only threw like seven picks all season. Oh, I fully expected something. Of stupid course, because you expect a piano to fall on your head every second of the day. Like that's how you view life. That. But if in that moment, <laughs> other than Judd Zolgad, who just thinks everything negative is going to happen, if you thought to yourself, you know what, oh, this is almost guaranteed to be an interception, I think most people figured that. He had navigated the season in a different way. So, Tavares anyway. Jackson, the out route. Oh my Threw God. it a thousand times. It was picked off 998 <laughs> times in return for touchdowns. Yeah. 995 times. Yeah. Uh, now my top three. Number three, we also agree. The easily correctable one. It has to be Christian Ponder. He should not have been taken in the first round, and he was overmatched from day one. But my gosh, did he keep going up to that podium and telling you it was all going to be okay, right? Coach Frazier and I got this. We just have to look at the film, and then we'll correct it. Everything's fine. We Don't can't correct it. your career. Your career 
You're a nice guy, but your career was really a mistake, Christian. One of the most embarrassing moments of my professional career came the year after his rookie season when he showed some flashes and, you know, there was no reason. I mean, he kind of came off on the surface as this very quarterbacky type figure. You didn't know that there, there was a lack of confidence and sort of a like a shallow nature to his, you know, to his football personality. Mm-hmm. But I remember being at a casino. I think it was Mystic Lake. It was an appearance and it was, Christian Ponder was doing, it was me interviewing Christian Ponder for like this audience of 200 people or something. And it was 30 minutes and asking him questions. And I remember introducing him and then we got into the Q&A and after it was over, thanks everyone for being here. You know, the Vikings have found their franchise quarterback. You got a good one here in Minnesota. Kind of a like a rah-rah thing for, for the Viking fan audience. And Christian and I shook hands and it was great. Chum chummy and that was about and then his girlfriend the extent of our relationship. blocked you on yeah. Twitter, and that was it for you guys. <laughs> That's that why it. you are Homer and Judd is panic. Correct. Yes. The number two on my list gets to a guy who spent quite some time in purple. The seventh overall pick in 2002, and you talk about a guy who wasted. He was a good player, but he was a Hall of Fame talent and wasted it. Bryant McKinney. Okay. Bryant McKinney is, if Bryant, if Bryant McKinney had applied himself, he'd be going into Canton. He had athletic ability that was off the charts. Left tackle, premium spot, could have could have been great. Chose to be okay and was okay, but wasted talent. Yeah, Madding to me. And then number one, and this is really this is really the entire thing. This is the organization. This is the player that they acquired. This is what it cost them. Everything leads to number one on my list. Herschel Walker. 42 games after the trade from Dallas with the Vikings, and he eclipsed 100 yards rushing in four of them. Wow. There were the Cowboys received, in retrospect, 13 players or picks in return for Herschel Walker, including including basically a, what, four-year span of first-round selections? Four or five years of your first-round picks went to Dallas. The miraculous thing is the Vikings were still really good throughout that entire period. And how and they, they, it culminated with them going 15-1 and in 1998 throughout the 90s, despite giving up all those picks. But when, that, when that trade was made, we all said, this is now a Super Bowl team. The 89 Super Bowl, they are going to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And not only did they not, but they gave up a basically five years worth of first-round picks. So there it is. All right, give us your 10 all again. Right. Most maddening Vikings One players. through 10, Herschel Walker, Bryant McKinney, Christian Ponder, Tavares Jackson, Corin Robinson, and then 6 through 10, Adrian Peterson, Troy Williamson, Blair Walsh, Erasmus James, and uh, the throwback, DJ Dozier, the 14th pick in the 87 draft. If you missed uh, the, the top part of this, if you missed my list, go back on demand. Top of our three, Mackie and Judd. You can find our on-demand stuff, Apple Podcasts, 1500 ESPN, new mobile app, anywhere you would generally subscribe to podcasts. And you know what? Give us a fat little five-star rating and tell us in the five-star rating here. We'll go check these later on, too. Give us a five-star rating and uh-huh. in, the, in the review on, on Apple Make your list of five or ten maddening Vikings players. How how would you rank them? Be kind Perfect. of a fun little game. All right. Uh, Dan Hayes will join us when we come back from The Athletic, theathletic.com slash twins. Twins play a game here in about a half hour looking to avoid a sweep against Toronto. Judd has a word for Prime Mortgage Lending first. Yeah, and I, I do want to suggest my friends at Prime and Kent McCullough. And I want to tell you about uh, Prime and Kent's philosophy here. 
And it's very simple, but it's very important. This isn't about simply selling you on something. Prime wants to earn your trust first. In fact, they would rather earn that trust than sell you a loan. I said that right. And that means while Prime would love to have you as a client, what they want to do is they want to sit down, they want to explain their plan with you, and then the decision is up to you. And that's because when it comes to Prime and Kent, this is about two very important things. It's about teamwork. It's about collaboration. That's what Prime is all about. It's what Kent is all about. And it's what Prime and the folks there believe in. If you're shopping for a mortgage, you can count on Prime to give you sound advice and straight answers. For instance, Prime wants to take some of the mystery out of the mortgage process for you. Did you know Prime may be able to put together a program that can pay your closing cost? That's right. Pay your closing costs, not just include them in your loan, but actually pay them for you. The, the site to go to to get more information on Prime, goprimewithkent.com. That's goprimewithkent.com. Goprimewithkent, K-E-N-T.com. Dan Hayes on the Twins next on Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. You guys are all-encompassing. Mackie and Judd. You can listen to this for a little bit of pop culture, a little Correct. bit of uh, what's hip in the city. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now, with the man who's in the clubhouse covering the team every day. Beat writer for The Athletic, Dan Hayes. Courtesy of Prime Mortgage Lending of Bloomington. Home is where your story begins. There goes Pilar. He got a terrific jump. There goes Morales, and they're not going to make a throw. Ball gets away. Here comes Pilar. He's going to score. Brown ball is short, and Gopay's coming home, and they boot it. All hands are safe. That ball gets away. Here comes another run. Bailey scored. You know, yeah. it's not going to show up in the box score as errors or anything like that. But this is un-Minnesota Twins-like baseball. So, Dan Hayes, uh, did you play youth baseball? Did you, pl- did you ever play, like, junior high or high school baseball? I uh, I played junior high. I played little league. I was not very good, so I, I knew my limitations. Sure. So, uh, but that's a that's a great reference point, though. I'm guessing that when you played little league or junior high baseball, one of the main strategies you would implement uh, offensively is first and third. You just send the guy from first to second base, so that the uh, the batter, the the pitcher, and the catcher get confused, and then you can just kind of run around and do whatever you want, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It's funny. Uh, that Kendry Morales stolen base actually might have been the correct thing for the uh, the Twins to do last night, but then by not throwing because that play was set up to there there was a uh, steal attempt where they were going to burn Kendry Morales to get Pilar home. That might be the one thing the Twins did right in the last four innings of the game last night was uh, not throw the ball. But man, it was a yeah, that that highlight package you guys just played should be maybe a little yakety sacks. Uh, <laughs> I like it. The whole you know the whole month of April and now the first day of May could have the yakety sack sound behind it for sure. Absolutely, and it's funny they came out and they played well at the start. They looked good the first thirteen games, and and where did that team go? And it's easy to pile on right now. No Miguel Snow, no Byron Buxton. Lance Lynn has been MIA. Logan Morrison mostly has been MIA. It's a lot of your big guys not played well, but it's really adding up and it's really getting to that desperation point around here at this point. And we're on May 2nd. Dan, what's the plan with Miguel at this point, too? Are they going? I mean, it, it read from Paul's comments last night like they're, they're going to try and expedite this as quickly as possible. But my problem is this I mean, he's not just hurt, he's, he is, he's out of shape. Uh, he fell down trying to, to pick that ball up last week. So is there a plan here to try and get him to uh, on a assignment that will also serve as sort of a pseudo weight loss program of sorts? I, I don't think that they have the flexibility to do something like that. Maybe if the team is playing better, but 
I think this is something where they got to work on getting him back and just getting another formidable bat in the middle of that lineup. Because, you know, you look around the lineup and, and there's some good pieces. I mean, you, Eduardo Escobar, since his uh, Nick Cage encounter has been incredible and, and Max Kepler has been outstanding all season. Doesn't have the power numbers to reflect how hard he's hitting the ball right now, but he's really good, but they need some more punch. They need a guy in the middle there that, that makes pitchers aware, and, and I think that Miguel is that guy. And, and so I wouldn't be surprised if he was back at the 10-day mark or maybe 11 days, and they just need to get him in there. You know, the hamstring, I don't think that's necessarily anything to do with the weight. Uh, it, it was a, a freak thing. But, he, you know, they knew it going into this year that he was disrupted in his offseason because of the surgery, and I'm sure that will be a focus in the offseason. But right now they just don't have that flexibility or that freedom. What do we know about Myron Buxton? Sounds like he wasn't really able to run yesterday. Yeah, he hasn't been able to run a couple days. They're going to try him again today. He is coming on the trip. Um, I think that, you know, it was it was asked with uh, Paul Mauder in the session today, would they forego a rehab assignment and just throw him out there when he's finally ready? And and they are taking him on the trip. I It wouldn't surprise me if that's a possibility. Um, I mean, it's been since April 12th that they had him. And, you know, part of their bad luck is Byron Buxton going on the DL in two days or one day into his uh, rehab, first at bat or second at bat, fouling a pitch off his toe and and sustaining a hairline fracture. I mean, talk about all the bad bounces they've had. That might stand out to be the most because he was supposed to be back in New York that second day. Everybody knows he brings a little bit of attitude to the lineup. He settles the outfield. Um, and, and even though he has not hit well, uh, when you have him in that eighth spot, if he gets on at all, that's a, a double or a triple waiting to happen, even if it's a single. So, They'd like to get him back. I still suspect it'd be a short rehab just because you're talking about such a lengthy absence. But um, I I think he's getting closer, even though he hasn't been able to run. I don't think they expect it'll take too long once he can run. Dan, with with how bad things have gone, what's your sense of this team right now as far as are they shell-shocked? Are they are they upset? I mean, it's just been it's been such an off the charts bad start. I'm cu- I'm curious what your sense of the mentality in that clubhouse is. Well, last night was the first time I think I saw them just kind of plain exhausted. And and you think about everything that's gone on, and it's been so weird, and they've had to address so many things. I mean, they had the fun police controversy out of their first series, and they're playing well. And then they go to Puerto Rico, and guys are actually having to do press conferences, and it was treated like a playoff-style event. And, you know, just everything around that was long days. I, they were still positive throughout all of that, even when they were losing, saying the right things. And last night, Brian Dozier said, and, and he's one of the most upbeat guys. And granted, I've only been around this club a couple months, but Dozier always has something positive to say. And he did have something positive to say, but it also was mixed in with the guys need to remember how to have fun. And I think we've lost sight of that. And for him and Mauder, Mauder called it tough and acknowledged losing sleep. And for those guys to kind of, drop their guards down a little bit, I think shows how tired this group is. They've, they've been looking for answers. They've, they've tried to provide them constantly. It's not working. It's frustrating. It's beyond the point of that. And They really, really could use a just a, a mental day off or a big, you know, kind of just a lap or win or a lap or loss, just something that allows them to check out. Because you, could, you can hear it that they're a little tired. Mulder sounded much better this morning. You know, last night's a long night again. Um, but, but you can tell that it's catching up with them a little bit, for sure. All right, Dan Hayes is with us here. Mackie and Judd, uh, we're talking twins uh, with Dan every week. You can find his stuff, theathletic.com slash twins. If there is some sort of a bright spot here, maybe it's 
the fact that they're going to lean on their best remaining pitching prospect now that Barrios is no longer a prospect. Fernando Romero, some people might argue that Gonsalves is the better prospect, but, I mean, as far as stuff and what he's been able to do the last couple of years in the minors and spring training, there has to be a ton of optimism surrounding Fernando Romero. And, Dan, is it safe to say that if he pitches well, this isn't just going to be like a spot start, that this is his spot if he wants it? I, I think that they would find a way to get him in the mix somehow if he pitches well. But it's funny, Irvin Santana had a really good bullpen session yesterday, and I guess even through his slider on flat ground before that, um, he's making progress. So it'll be interesting if he, if Fernando Romero pitches well, to see how they handle it at that point. But when you have his stuff, I think that if he pitches well up here, he'll have a major league roster spot. You can see it in the confidence the guys have in him. Barrios and Fernando Rodney yesterday were very excited to be talking about Fernando Romero. Um, you know, Rodney, I guess, worked with him on his changeup in spring a little bit, and, and Barrios worked with him on his two-seam, and both of them have a lot of confidence in him. I know he has a lot of confidence in himself. It was a fun interview talking to him yesterday. He dropped a he was talking about telling his family, and he said, oh, hell yeah. It was so, you know, talking about how much fun he had telling everybody, and they're jumping up and down and their reactions. So this is a guy who is, is believes he should be here. He definitely has the stuff, too. We'll see how he manages it today, but I don't think this is a one-time thing. I also think it gives you an idea. The front office realizes where Phil Hughes is right now. It's a struggle. It just hasn't been good. And, and they're willing to make this kind of call at this point. That, that gives you an idea of what their mindset is as far as how this team is going forward. They want to compete, and they know that bringing him in over Hughes is the right way to go, even if it's putting a lot of pressure on the young guy. Best case, Santana is back by when, do you think? Man, I, best case would be a month. I, I mean, I just it just sounds like every time it, it got closer and closer. I mean, the fact that he threw up a mound is a good thing, but – you know, you, you throw quite a few bullpens, then you do a live BP or two, then you go to extended. I mean, it, it's still a process. And, and, you know, that April, mid-April, early May was, was pretty optimistic. I think that they actually expected that was the case at the time, but the, the swelling didn't subside as quickly as they'd hoped. It's similar to Byron Buxton. The swelling just hadn't gone down in that toe as quickly as they'd hoped, and and it's been a process, and it's certainly caught up with them. Uh, Phil Hughes giving them seven innings in those two starts. On top of the other starters struggling, has really put this bullpen in a bind. How do they get uh, Brios in that sweet spot between brilliant and brutal? Yeah, I know. It's, that's the one thing that he needs to kind of attain is, is the ability to not get beat up on days he doesn't have his best stuff. And they, The early hook the other day probably cost them a little bit because he only goes the three innings, and, and they needed more length. But at the same time, he'd given up a run in seven straight innings. And I think from a confidence standpoint, they, they didn't want him to give up a seven spot or an eight spot and have questions. He's been their best guy so far and short of the last two. But he needs to figure out that, that way to get over the hump. I mean, you look at last year, and he was so good in the first half, and they ran into a rut. And they need him to figure out how to do that. It's a big step for a young kid. Um, he's in a much better place, I think, to handle it because of the success that he's had. But you just have to manage that storm, weather that storm on days you don't have it. And you really got to learn to rely on your veteran pitchers. And I'm sure having Irvin Santana around would be a, a help for him in that way when he gets back. Um, it, it, it's something that, you know, it's the logical step for him to become an ace is to, 
give up four max and six innings on your bad days. Yeah. Hey, one thing. This is more of a, an observation than a question. I just love your thoughts on it, Dan, because you've covered you've covered Major League Baseball for a while here. That you know the Twins pitching staff post Johan Santana and before Thad Levine and Derek Falvey came to town has the worst ERA between 2008 and 2016, the worst ERA in the in the American League, and the only team in baseball with the worst collective ERA over that stretch is the Rockies. And, I mean, that's you're playing in altitude, and uh, and that's, that's a bandbox. So I don't think it can be overstated how hard it is to just flip a switch and turn essentially a decade of eroding pitching culture to turn it around so that it's a machine overnight. I mean, yes, they were better last year as a pitching staff, but up and down the organization, they, they have to change a lot of things, and it's not going to just be a straight-line improvement overnight. Well, the thing I think you saw last year is, and I think it was 36 pitchers. I mean, probably 15 of those guys were major league ready at the time, maybe 17, 18. I think that's one way to do it is increase the depth. And, and you've got more kids with stuff in the system now, and that's important too. I mean, the lower levels, they have a couple guys like uh, Bruce Dark Raiderall, and they've got Blaine Enlow, guys that have some really good stuff to work with that they need to develop those guys so that they are – big parts of the picture and, and there was a lot of guys where you had pitched contact before and you're playing to your defense because your defense is so good that works to an extent but when you're spending money and you have some of it you're able to bring in some higher end products and you know this year it happened to be Lance Lynn but he just hasn't done what he's gonna do and he was funny there and I said hey you know I've made worse pitches and got outs before in the past so this is just bad luck I, I think that you, you can expect some course correction from some of the guys that are struggling right now. It's not as bad as it looks, but you're right. It doesn't change overnight. And, and I think the hope was just to shore things up so that they could let their offense win games for them this year instead of having to lose blowouts 9-8. to eight. And, and we haven't got to that point yet because the offense just isn't clicking. Um, it's been such a struggle on that end, too. So, you know, there's just such few parts that are, that are positives for this this group right now that uh, it, it's been a, a struggle pretty much the whole season. Yep. Dan Hayes, great analysis. Find his written work, theathletic.com slash twins. You guys can subscribe if you haven't already done so. We'll talk next week, Dan. See you, Dan. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. He's he's an awesome analyst. Yeah, he does great work. He used to cover the White that Sox. poor guy, though. He goes from the White Sox to a Twins team coming off a playoff berth, at least, probably thinking, hey, I'll see some good baseball this yeah. summer. And he's been subjected to this for a month plus now. Yeah. let's go, let, he, he brought up Phil Hughes, and uh, you and I have had some discussions off the air about Phil Hughes. And uh, let's, let's come back and talk about sort of this passing of the torch and athletes in general. Like, at what point do you just feel bad for, for an athlete? And um, we'll get John Cosgrove in here, too, at noon for some sports culture. Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I want to say thanks for uh, being one of the local radio stations that's been brutally honest, but you guys have been in it from the ground floor, which is great. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Get yourself prepared for the upcoming 71st annual Minnesota Governor's Fishing Opener. Join 1500 ESPN at Tracker Boating Center this Saturday. Chris Reavers will be at the Shakopee location from 9 a.m. until 11. Jess Myers at the Forest Lake location from 1 to 3. Hang with the boys. Check out the amazing selection of Tracker Boats and sign up to win a $100 Bagley Baits prize pack. Details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Thank you, Dave Harrigan. Some sports culture with John Cosgrove from the Crafty Rogues in the noon hour. We'll keep an eye on this Twins-Blue Jays game. 
I, I am excited to see Fernando Romero pitch today. He has electric stuff. He's one of the best pitching prospects right now in the minor leagues, and he's on the Baseball America Top 100 and, and some other lists too, and he's uh, probably the Twins' best pitching prospect right now. He takes the spot of Phil Hughes, and you and I, were we talked about this briefly a couple days ago, that you kind of feel it's to the point where you just feel bad for Phil Hughes. I don't yes. know if I'm to that point because the guy is going to make $13 million. Wow. He's pitched a good decade in the majors, and I think he has a World Series ring with the Yankees. I felt bad for him on Friday night with that start because it's clear that he that he can no, no longer get guys out. And I don't think he's got a secondary plan here to change his pitching style completely. I mean, there there have been guys who have gone through cycles like this, reinvent themselves, and are then successful again. And my sense with Hughes is that's not, not the case here. So I don't feel bad for him in the sense that I know he's going to be paid a ton, where I feel bad for athletes. And this, this goes back to my whole thing about sticking around too long, is that when it just looks feeble and you think to yourself, this person was once, if not great, really, really good at something that's difficult to be to be a professional at, and now they can't do it. And and in their minds, I think it takes a long time. I don't think there's a lot of guys who go out and say, oh, you know what, I'm done. I think the majority of, of guys, because of how athletes are wired, think to themselves, oh, no, I'll be fine. And so when the day comes or when the games come where you watch them and watch them play and you're like, ooh, it's it's gone completely, that's where I feel bad. So it's not it's not from a sense of of I feel bad because he's going to be fine. I just feel bad because he walked off that mound on Friday and he never belonged on that mound in the first place. Not as a starter anyways. No. Yeah, I mean, his it's to the point now where if you go back and injuries have been a big part of this, but the last three seasons, you know, he's only been able to make... Let's see here. 22 starts. He's made a couple relief appearances. Otherwise, ERA is over six or around six Yeah. Uh, the last three years. Now, there is a little bit of a ray of hope in that this is now, this is like eight or nine years ago now. But when he was with the Yankees early on, he was actually a really good setup man. This is going back to 2009. He had a 3.03 ERA and struck out 96 batters in 86 innings, mostly as a relief pitcher. I would say, like, I don't, I feel bad when a guy like Dallas Braden who's on a rookie contract making $500,000 a year, has yet to make life-changing money, when that guy throws a no-hitter or a perfect game or whatever it was and has a bright future for maybe 10 years as a top major league pitcher and he suffers a torn shoulder and can't come back from it. And, you know, like he still made some money. and he had, I don't know where he was drafted. I think he might have been a first-round pick by the A's at some point. So he had a signing bonus of some kind. It's not like he's broke. But Dallas Braden has to find another job. Instead of playing baseball sure. for 10 years, yeah, like I, Dallas Braden has to find another job. And, and his dream was kind of ripped away. A guy like Hughes, I, I understand what you're saying, but he came in the major leagues when he was 21 years old in 2007. He's going to make $13 million this year, $13 million next year, and he'll have banked $80 million in his career playing baseball. Yeah, he'll be so. just he'll be just fine. It's just that trying to watch him get through that on Friday was actually painful to watch. It was difficult to watch him try because he had no chance. They He gave up a run in the top of the first two at the Reds. The Twins came back and scored five. And you said to yourself, I don't think he can hold this lead. And he didn't. So that's what it, it was for. This is probably too strong a word. But in some ways, it was pathetic to watch. 
Yeah, it definitely is. Most of the Twins pitching, I feel like, the last 10 years has been and pathetic And believe to me, watch. some of it's self-induced and some of it's their fault. And a lot of these guys come up and perhaps don't belong. But this guy belonged at one time, and now it's quite clear he, he does not. Now, that did not force Terry Ryan, of course, a few years back to give him a contract extension. Can you believe this is his fifth season with the Twins? I mean, I'm not to it's, not to sit here and pile on a guy, but... In some ways, it feels longer right now. Like, this guy... Here's the amazing thing about Phil Hughes. He has, let's see here, 1,265 career major league innings um, over the course of a decade, more than a decade in the major leagues. He's really only had about three seasons since 2007 where he said, oh, yeah, that's a that's a really good performance this season by Phil Hughes. Yeah. His first year with the Twins in 2014. Yep. Where he actually got Cy Young votes. He finished seventh in the Cy Young Award voting that year. Hit, and then he had a couple years with the Yankees. If, it depends on if you count the relief year. So maybe say, four, years, four or years. Four years starting. The 09 year was a bullpen year. 2010, he was an all-star. Had a 4.19 ERA. So he was he was fine. He was an all-star. Yep. And then a couple years after that, in 2012, after a disastrous 2011, 4.19 ERA again. He, you know, made 32 starts. He was fine. But... Like, because he was a first-round pick, and because he was one of the top prospects in baseball for a long time, and he was rumored in the Johan I was going to say, his name goes stuff. way back here because of that. Yeah. he's Teams keep taking chances on him based on what they think he should be, not yes. what he actually is. I think it's safe so, to say that those chances are now done. Probably. Unless he can do something in the bullpen. You know, I've seen Stranger Things. Maybe he can, maybe he can do something in the bullpen, but this is going to be it. And there's no reason to... It's a sunk cost, and this front office did not even pay the freight it's on not it. Their, so. Yes, it's not their yep. doing. Uh, we'll get some sports culture here from our buddy John Cosgrove. Keep an eye on Twins and Blue Jays and Fernando Romero. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.